2 Kings chapter 4. As we think about, you know, women, there's, uh, we had the privilege Friday at 2 o'clock to attend uh, Christina's graduation and see her walk across the stage and hear her name be, be read and along with several hundred other uh, students and then even the day before attend her penning ceremony for nurses. I'd never been to a penning ceremony, but pretty neat uh, and special ceremony to participate in those activities. And there were, thankfully, a lot of young women even some older women. Uh, there's one of the ladies in, in her class, I think is in her 30s, that uh, just graduated with a nursing degree. But it is exciting and it's encouraging to see uh, women being able to pursue and excel in academics and even in leadership. Uh, but there are some stresses, there are some, uh, some difficulties that have come with our modern structure. And so sometimes moms, you know, tend to look at others and compare themselves. And women think, okay, well, how can I have success? How can I reach, you know, wealth? Some of the most uh, wealthiest women in the world right now, I'll just list a few, but, uh, and I may not say their names exactly correct, but Francois Betancourt Myers. Anybody recognize the name? How about L'Oreal? Any L'Oreal products, uh, hair products and things? She uh, is from that family, $74.8 billion. She's the richest woman in the world at this point as of March of 2022. Alice Walton, last name ring a bell? Yep, Walmart. Uh, so she is $65.3 billion. Alice Walton, Julia Coke, Coke Industries. Her husband died, I believe, in 2019. She's uh, now the third most uh, wealthiest woman in the world with $60 billion. Mackenzie Scott, divorced from Jeff Bezos, Amazon, $43.6 billion. Jacqueline Mars, anybody have M&Ms recently? Well, you helped Jacqueline Mars reach $31.7 billion worth of wealth. So these are some of the most successful, in the world's eyes, women in 2022 in the world as we know it. But we're going to look in 2 Kings chapter 4 and see this mom's path to true success and wealth. Now, the people of Israel, and we'll see a little bit later on, the people of Israel are not following God at the national level. Yet, we see individuals, and there's, I believe, 2 Kings, God and His sovereignty and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded for us some specific events with individuals that at face value almost seem kind of out of place. This random story, the first part of the chapter here in 2 Kings chapter 4, we won't go through this story, but just to, to touch on it, the first part of the chapter is about a poor widow who comes to Elisha and says, listen, we, you know, my husband was, was, a, was one of the, your, your, your co-workers in essence, he was of, of the, the children of the prophets, the prophet's school, and he served along with Elisha, he's, he's dead now, and I'm, I'm a widow, and I've got two sons, they're about to be taken into slavery, what are we supposed to do? And Elisha tells her, and some of you may be familiar with the story, but he says, go out and borrow as many uh, vessels as you can, as many containers as you can, and then the little oil that you have begin to fill those containers. And God did a miracle, and until all of those containers were filled, the oil didn't you know, give out. So she kept filling the containers, and he said, then go and sell that oil, and you'll be able to pay off your debts. Seems like, okay, well, that's interesting, but how does that connect with the whole national story? And then we come across this lady. She's not a poor widow. She's a wealthy woman, 
But we see her story, and we go through, as we read, verses 8 through 37. And at face value, it seems like, okay, well, how does this connect with the larger story? Well, I think one of the main goals and one of the main purposes for God to include this is for us to see that even though at a national level, the people of Israel were, were not following God, their leaders were not following after God. Think of Ahab and Jezebel. Now it's Jehoram. And we'll see that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But yet we find some individuals who are still following God, Jehovah, and God reveals his power to them in a special way. So I want to see some of the steps that God, that this lady took, but also in seeing God's providence, his sovereignty, and how he provided for Elisha through this lady and her family. But then he also used Elisha to bless her and her family as well. Let's pick up in verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. The first step that I see to, as part of this path to true success and wealth is that she looked to see where God was working. She looked to see where God was working. Now, whether you're a lady this morning or a mom or not, these are all steps that we can learn from. She looked to see where God was working. So are you, are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are you looking around and are you open to, okay, where is God moving? Who is God drawing? How can I be a part of that work? She looked to see where God was working and she told her husband, as we see specifically in verse 9, she said, she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. She began to think, okay, well, how can I be a part of that? How can I, how can I help with that? Well, she took the initiative to serve God on her own. Second step, she took the initiative to serve God on her own. Independent of the apathy of her nation, 2 Kings chapter 3, so one chapter back, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, okay, so that's the southern kingdom. Remember our, our kind of our, our diagrams and things as we started the study in Nehemiah, how Israel was divided into the southern kingdom, Judah, two tribes, and then the northern kingdom, still called Israel, or ten tribes. So sometimes in the Old Testament, the writers will use the king of one you know, divided part of the nation to kind of show and give uh, the context for another king. And that's what we see here. So in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became, became king over Israel in Samaria. So here we see the divided kingdom. Jehoram has taken the place of his wicked dad and king Ahab prior to him, and Jezebel, who uh, certainly left a legacy of wickedness. So Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 12 years. And then notice verse 2. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We live in the United States of America. That's not, new, that's not news to you, but the United States of America, some have called in the past a Christian nation. Unfortunately, we are far from a truly Christian nation. 
It is all around us. We're bombarded by attacks against God, against God's, God's word, against the principles, even of the basic structures like the family unit that God ordained. Even more so, even the church, uh, the, the attacks against the church, even outside and even inward attacks. So we, we are in a nation that by and large is no longer seeking after the almighty and true God. So like this Shunammite woman, we could be tempted to just give up. We could be tempted to think it's not worth it. It's so difficult. It's frustrating. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter whatever we do that it's not making a whole lot of difference. That wasn't her decision. She decided, no, I'm going to take the initiative to serve God independent even of the nation in which I live that is far from God at this point. So she was... Serving God independent of the apathy of her nation, but also independent of the passiveness of her husband. Independent of the passiveness of her husband. All throughout this passage, we see that the Shunammite woman is highlighted. There's a few brief mentions of her husband so that we know she was married. And obviously she had a, a son. But yet she was the one that was highlighted throughout the passage. And it seems to indicate, even in 2 Kings chapter 8, we'll, we'll look at there briefly later, but even in that passage, once again, Elisha talks to the woman and not to the man. So we don't know the whole story. We don't know if he was a, if he was a follower of God or not. He at least was open to his wife uh, you know, being a blessing to Elisha. He was open to building a room, and so, so we're thankful for that, to see that. But he doesn't appear to be the, the main and, and religious leader that he should be for the family. Uh, through the years we've seen this happen. And I'm thankful for how God even has used uh, some women in our, in our family and in our ministry who have been have taken the initiative and said, No, I, I want to, I'm going to serve God. I want to be a part of what God's doing. And even some men, some of their husbands who are very passive, some even, even who are unsaved, but would allow us to come in their homes, would pay for food for groups, would allow people to stay in their home, sometimes would even come to services as we would continue to pray and, and sow the seeds of the gospel. And some of those men we've seen it through, through the years come to know Christ. Others haven't yet, and we're still praying. What a glorious day it will be when, and I'm thinking of some right now, when they'll, when they'll make that decision. But yet, those women and, and that we know personally, and even the Shunammite women have decided, we're not going to wait. We're not going to say, well, if only my husband, or if only my, my extended family, or if only the neighborhood that I lived in, or if only the college that I went to would have more people to serve God than I would too. No, the Shunammite woman said, no, I'm going to take the initiative, and I want to be a part of what God is doing right now, independent of the apathy in the past of her nation and the past of us of her husband. It was upon her invitation that Elisha ate with them the first time. We saw that in verse 8. That as he was going by, she, it says she urged him to eat food. Now, how did that happen? Was she just like standing outside of the, of the house and said, hey, come and get it, right? That's what we'd say in the South. Come and get it. It's ready. I don't know how it happened. I'm not sure how God put her in connection with Elisha, but she was the first one to give that invitation. She was the one who then went to her husband and said, this is a holy man of God. What can we do to help him and prepare a room? 
We even see the detail where she says, yeah, I want, I want a room and I want a bed and I want a table and I want a lamp. And I mean, she had it all figured out. This is what we need for this man of God to have a place to rest. She was the one who sought out God's leader immediately after her son died. I find it somewhat humorous, maybe, maybe sad at the same time, but as the son, as we read the passage a little while ago, as the son says, you know, my head, my head, and the husband, you know, the, the father takes him up and says, take him to his mother. You know, that's kind of what we, a lot of times still, go, go, get, go find mom. And that's what happened. And then, I mean, it, I don't know how this happened, but she took him, even after he died, and put him up on Elisha's bed and then said, you know, I'm going to go and see Elisha. And the man goes, okay, well, it's not the Sabbath. It's not the new moon. You know, and she says, no, all is well. And it seems like he's okay with that. Where's the sun? I mean, did the sun just like disappear? But there's no indication that the dad, dad is like caring and, and maybe... You know, I might have the story all wrong, but at least there's, there's some passiveness of the husband here. But the lady takes the initiative. She's the one that seeks out God's man right after their son passed away. She was the one who Elisha would warn of the coming famine in 2 Kings chapter 8. And we'll, we'll read those verses in a few minutes. But he came to her and said, listen, you and your household need to go to the land of the Philistines because there's going to be a famine. He talked to her. She was the one who, when she came back with her household from the land of the Philistines after the famine and had lost all of her land, all of her property, she was the one who went to the king and made an appeal to get all of that back. All that to say, we live in a time where there are many, many single moms. And it can be very tempting, it can be extremely difficult, and even, even those who aren't single moms, they may be a single mom spiritually. They may be in a home where they're, they, they want to serve God, they want their children to serve God, but the husband's not there yet. And as a Shunammite woman shows, uh, may you take the initiative to serve God independent of others. Now, those of you at Kennesaw State University, those of you at Bob Jones University, at Truett McConnell University, at Georgia Highlands College, at Northwest Classical Academy, God will call upon you to take the initiative to serve him and to stand up for what you believe, independent of what others are doing around you. There's going to be many opportunities and many times where you will be the minority and you may be the only one. Will you do it? Will you take the initiative say, no, I'm going to serve God? I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to kind of stay quiet until I find out if there's others. I am ready to serve God now. And I want to be a part of what God is doing. Thirdly, we see that she used her resources to advance God's work. She used her resources to advance God's work. Now let's let's look here and see what, what deep and and just um, unique and, and special resources she starts off with, food. In the last 24 hours, how many of you have eaten food in the last 24 hours? How many in the last 24 seconds? Okay, we, we enjoy eating food. It's not only part of our nutrition and how God made our bodies, but it does bring a lot of pleasure. It brings a lot of fellowship. And we enjoy food. And so... As soon as she began to notice, wow, this guy kind of comes this way. It was, it was on, the, on the route to Mount Carmel, and 
Uh, it seems that that's where Elisha was kind of basing out of. We'll see that later. And so she begins to see this man of God on his way uh, on several occasions. She urged him to eat food. So food was the, the first resource. And I think we could all learn a lesson from that. Towards in the beginning kind of our launch class period, I shared an article with you, Bon Appetit, you know, some missionaries in Canada and how they've used their home and even remodeled their kitchen in such a way where they can have more people in their home and they call their table their nine-foot lectern because so many gospel conversations and meaningful conversations happen around the table, maybe even more so than behind a pulpit. So use food. And use the resources that God gives you. Next we see her house, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 9. Verse 8, one day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And then verse 9, and she said to her husband, behold now. Now maybe, did he start to get concerned, you know, at the, behold now, I have an idea, husband. Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls. Put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. How many of you have heard the term prophet's chamber? prophet's chamber. Okay, so now it's not used quite as often. Uh, We just the last few days, we stayed in a mission home in Greenville, South Carolina, a church that has designated a home on their property uh, for missionaries and other people in the ministry to be able to come and rest. And it was a phenomenal blessing. And we've been blessed hundreds of times through our lifetime of being able to stay in somebody's room, in somebody's guest house, in a church missionary apartment or prophet's chamber. This lady says, hey, I, I want to do what we can. I want to make a small room. I want to I use our home to host and to be a blessing. So we see they used her house. Now jump ahead to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verses 18 through 21. 2 Kings 4 and verses 18 through 21. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry carry him to his mother. And when he lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. But notice next verse, verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of who? The man of God. This wasn't just a, you know, kind of a, a flurry, this, this idea that, oh, you know, this would be kind of cool. We could, this guy could stay here every once in a while. The child has grown. We don't know exactly how old he is, but years have passed. And yet there's still a room that has been designated for Elisha and his servant. We even see in the passage that his servant is there with him. So at least two, two men... And for years, this lady has continued to open up her home, so much so that when her son dies, she takes him up and even says, and lays him on Elisha's bed. Boy, I pray that we would use all of our possessions to advance the kingdom of God. 
I pray that whether we live in a house, a townhome, apartment, uh, or whatever we live in or whatever we have, the vehicles that we have, all the possessions that God gives us, I pray that like this Shunammite woman, we would say, God, I want to be a part and I want to see where you're working and may you use everything I have to advance your work. That was her decision. She used her food, her house, but she also used her time. Her time. You know, Women in general don't have a lot of spare time. And especially mamas don't have a lot of spare time. I may have related this to you at some point, but we were at Stone Mountain uh, years back, and there was, there was a mama there with her, with her kids, and her kids kept saying, Mama, Mama, you, can you do that? Mama, tell Johnny to, Mama. And finally, the mama had, had enough, and she turned around and she says, Listen up! I ain't your mama no more. And the kids were like, oh. in essence, she was done being mama that day. Now, we've all been there. There's a little kids movie that uh, years ago uh, that we watched, and part of the kids movie, the girl says, father, 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 father. And our kids have done that to us. And we've, so, so moms and dads, we sometimes get that. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, mom. And sometimes like, okay, fine. Just give me a minute. And maybe we go to the bathroom, not because we need to go to the bathroom, but because we can shut the door and lock it and, like, get a few minutes. Some of you are smiling because you know what what it's like. Kim's mom, you know, growing up, I I can remember this day when dating her, she said, I'm going to take a bath and nobody, and boy, she got serious. You know, Italian influence came out. She said, nobody better bother me while I'm taking my bath. I'm like, okay. Marianne has gone to take a bath. Don't mess. Don't bother. So she used her time. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8 says, So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. So whenever. Did Elisha, do you think Elisha like would text ahead and say, Hey, Miss Shunammite woman, I'm going to be there in about two hours, or I'm going to be there next week. Is that okay? No. It appears that he would just... To show up. And she was ready. And she would take, she would provide food, open the room. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 10. Let us make a small room, she says, on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. This is tough. It's tough for ladies, it's tough for moms, it's tough for men, it's tough for dads when we have our schedule. We have a plan. But yet she was willing to say, God, I see where you're working, I want to be a part of that, and I'm willing to use whatever time. And whenever this comes about, when you show show your hand, when when the man of God comes, I'm ready. No, I'm not, this is not an invitation for me to show up at your house for whenever for lunch and you feed me. That's not what this is all about. But generally speaking, may we look for God to be working and say, I'm ready. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 11. So after, you know, made, made the room and all that, and, and it says, one day he came there. One day he came there, so she had provided food for him, several opportunities. Then they built a, a room and with walls and had the bed and the table and the lamp. And then it says, one day he came. 
May I challenge you that one day, one afternoon, one evening, maybe even one season of your life, God is going to put before you opportunities to be a part of what God is doing. I believe that's why you're here. This is not easy. You say, Pastor, yeah, we know. Church planning is not easy. But I believe God has led you to see, see some of what God is doing and have a vision for what God can do. And you said, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that. And thank God for that. I pray often that God would continue to do that and continue to bless and lead others and to help us and to, to encourage us and come alongside of us. But even outside of the church plant, there's areas in your neighborhood, in your community, in your extended family where God is going to put opportunities one day, one afternoon, one evening, one season of your life. And are you going to say, I'm ready? I want to be a part? Will you even recognize that it's God who's given you that, that opportunity? Will you be willing to, for God, to allow God to interrupt your plans so that he can make his plan come about? Or will you say, God, that's, that's, that wasn't on my schedule. I, I may do that in the future, but not now. Lord, I, I just, I can't see. Or will you say, Lord, help me to have an open heart. God, help me to see where you're working. There's all kinds of decisions that I'm going to have to make, but Lord, help me to know and help me to see how you want me to be a part of what you're doing. Then lastly, we see that she valued what God valued. She valued what God valued. We see how she leveraged her life to advance God's work. She leveraged her life to advance God's work. This is a a pretty simple story in the sense of the resources that she used. They weren't anything extravagant. The talents that she had, they they weren't anything out of the ordinary. But yet we see her take these steps to find true success and true wealth. And will you leverage your life to advance God's work? As I look at every face in here this morning... I automatically can think of talents and abilities and past experiences that God has given you that's different than what God has given me. And so God is calling you, we even see in Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12, what is your path? What is your journey? Don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted as we were challenged by Carl, Pastor Carl a few weeks ago. Don't, don't even take up buckets maybe that aren't your buckets to pick up, but say, God, what have you given me? What talents and what resources and what time can I be a part of what you're doing around me? God, help me to see that. Help me to open my eyes. Help me not to see them as interruptions, but as opportunities. The one day that someone shows up or the one day that you provide an opportunity for me to minister. She leveraged her life to advance God's work. She lived her life as an expression of thankfulness to God. Look with me in, first, in 2 Kings rather, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. 2 Kings 4, and verses 11 through 13. One day he came there, Elisha, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, okay, so you'll recall there's at least two men that she's, they're hosting. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. 
And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? Now, I don't know how, you know, what Elisha's connection with the king was. The king was a wicked king. But he must have thought that he had some type of end, some type of way to provide favor or some, something beneficial to the Shunammite woman. And he asked, do you want me to say something to the king? Uh, something that's very common now is people are looking for jobs. They try to find somebody that works in that company. And it's very helpful if somebody in that company can put in a good word for you. And so here's the opportunity. Elisha says, you've done all this for us. What can we do for you? You want me to talk to the king? How about to the, to the commander of the army? But notice her response. She answered, very simply put, in verse 13, the last part, she answered and said, I dwell among my own people. In other words, she's saying, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm content. I'm thankful. She wasn't serving God and she wasn't building this room and providing the food for Elisha to get like this, this inward connection to be able to improve her life. She just was living a life of thankfulness to God. You know, sometimes we begin to see our own attitudes revealed when things don't go our way. When we come across difficulties, when relationships start to break down, when a loved one passes away, when a job opportunity isn't granted, when a project isn't going as fast as we had hoped, then sometimes we begin to even see some of the tendencies of our selfish motivations and desires to think, but God, I've done all this for you. Why? Why this? But God, why would you allow? But God, why wouldn't you provide this? Because I've done this and this and this. May we be challenged to live a life of thankfulness. And not to live in order to kind of guarantee a better life and prosperity for ourselves, but say, God, we want to see where you're working, and we want to be a part of that, independent of the benefits that we may get or not. She lived a life of thankfulness to God. She also looked to God in times of extreme sorrow. Look with me in verses 18 through 37. We've already read the passage, so we won't read all those verses again, but... After the child was brought to her, sat in her lap, and then died. She could have immediately responded in bitterness, and she could have immediately responded in anger. But yet she laid the child on Elisha's bed, and then said, I want to go to the man of God. Notice with me in 2 Kings chapter 4. And she says in verse 30, she's already come, she's already talked to Gehazi, and she, she continued on. She wanted to talk to Elisha specifically, and she's in now Elisha's presence. And, and she says in verse 30, then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. 
Now, I have to smile to see a little bit of the tenacity of a mom here. You know, Elisha, in some ways, it looks like he's training Gehazi. In fact, the word servant for, that he uses for, for Gehazi is the same word that was used for him under Elijah's ministry. So I think Elisha here is in part training and mentoring Gehazi to do some of the ministry. And that's why we see Elisha saying, hey, Gehazi, go do this and say this and run ahead and ask this. But we see a little bit of tenacity here when the mom says, uh-uh. As the Lord lives, so she's still declaring, she's still proclaiming her faith that God is, God is still real. I'm not turning on God, he still lives, but I'm not going to leave you, Elisha, until you come. We see that she looked to God in extreme times of sorrow. And then notice, jump ahead in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. A couple chapters have passed. There's no other you know, story. This, this story was kind of cut abruptly. So much so that when her son was raised back to life and Elisha was used in a miraculous way to, to restore life and God's power, uh, you know, it says that the Shunammite woman bowed before Elisha. I don't believe it was in service or in worship to him, but I think it was in direction of, of Elisha's God, understanding that it was God's power that raised her son from the dead. But then... In the end of what we saw in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says she picked up her son and walked out. And if the story had ended there, it would have almost have seemed kind of like a movie that sometimes happened to us. We'll record a movie on DVR and we think that it's recorded the whole thing, but we'll get to the last like three minutes. And it goes, oh, that's it. And sometimes as a family, we're like, oh, we just wasted an hour and a half and we don't even know how the story ends. What was the purpose? I mean, what, what happens after that? And in the movies, you know, the question is, especially with girls in our family, did they get married? When's the kiss? You know, you don't see the end of the movie. I mean, that's kind of when the hallmarks all come together and last like three minutes. So we see 2 Kings chapter 4, she picked up the son and walked out. But then we see again in 2 Kings chapter 8, notice we'll be in verse 1. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. I want to recall back and kind of little parentheses here as we looked at the, the, the diagram of Israel's cycle of serving God and then rebelling and being punished. And I believe that this famine is in part due to God's punishment. It wasn't the whole region because she goes to the land of the Philistines and has food. But Israel is experiencing some of God's hand of judgment even before they're, they're sent into captivity for these seven years of famine. But here we see that she was willing to obey God even when it meant risking everything. She's willing to obey God even when it meant risking everything. She could have told Elisha, Elisha, listen, just whatever you have to do, I know you've done miracles, you've raised my son back to life. Elisha, we want to stay here. 
Elisha, I've heard how you talked to the poor widow and she borrowed the, 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 the containers and her oil didn't run out until she had filled them all. Elisha, we want you to provide for us here. No, Elisha says you need to go and sojourn. There's seven years of famine. And then right after that it says that's exactly what she did. She was ready to obey God even when it meant risking losing everything. And we follow on in verse And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her lands. So while she was gone, somebody, we don't know the complete story, but somebody had come in and and maybe tried to take over her land or, or something had happened. She was no longer, she no longer had the guarantee for her own property. So she went to appeal to the king. And notice once again God's hand of sovereignty. So she went to appeal, the latter part of verse 3, to the king for her house and her land. And then verse 4. It's almost as if we could kind of insert here, not that we want to add to Scripture, but it's almost as if, oh, and by the way, now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. Huh. Interesting. Seven years have passed. It just happens to be at the very moment that this Shunammite woman comes back to appeal to the king for her own land to be restored, that it just happens to be at that moment that Gehazi is before the king, and the king asks the question, tell me all the things that Elisha has done, and we continue on. And while he was telling the king how Elisha, verse 5, had restored the dead to life. Behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left seven years ago or more. Restore all the produce from seven years ago until now. The king says to this officer, you're in charge of that. Make sure she gets it all back. That's God's hand. She had no guarantee of that when Elisha told her, listen, you need to sojourn. You need to go out with your family. You need to sojourn because there's seven years of famine. She didn't ask a lot of questions. I I sure would have. My tendency would have been, okay, let's sit down. Can we have a meeting about this? I want to know a little bit more, okay, about this this move here. What are you going to do when we come back? Is my land going to be here? Is my house going to be here? How are we going to make a living? She was ready to obey, even when it meant risking everything. And God showed her through so many different ways his power and his sovereignty. Now this morning you may say, boy, I I just, I don't think that I'm going to see God blessed with a miraculous son in my old age. Probably not. I don't think that we're going to have a a loved one, a son or someone else die and then be restored back to life as the man of God lays on top and breathes into the mouth and the eyes on the eyes and the hands on the hands. Probably not. I don't think that we're going to go into Mexico or Canada or into South America for seven years and then come back to Ackworth or Canton or Woodstock or Marietta and go to the mayor and go, hey, I need my land again. 
Probably not. But I'll guarantee you, as we follow these same steps, as we look to see where God is working, as we pray, God, show me where your hand is at work. God, help me to to see how I can make a difference on Kennesaw State University's campus and in the dorms and in my classrooms and with my teachers. God, help me to, to see how I can make a difference at Bob Jones University. Yes, it's a Christian university, but there's much there's a lot of apathy at Christian universities. Help me to see how I can make a difference. Lord, help me as a third grader, as a sixth grader, as a fourth grader, as a second grader in Northwest Classical Academy or whatever school you're in to see how I can make a difference and where you are working. As we determine to see where God is working, and then as we take the initiative, independent of what our nation does, what our city does, of how the elections come out, you know, at the end of this year, independent of all of that, of the nation, of those around us, as we take the initiative and says, God, you have called me for this journey and this path. I want to be a part. And then as we use our resources... Sometimes they're not even things that are extravagant, things like food, our house, our possessions, the knowledge that God gives us, the abilities that we've learned through our life. And then as we, as Tony Evans sometimes says, as we kingdomize, as we take those abilities, as we take those opportunities, as we take that knowledge and then leverage those to advance the gospel of Christ and mentor others, we are kingdomizing all that God's given us. And that's what the Shunammite woman did as we do those things and then as we value what God values I guarantee you you will see God work in powerful and personal ways it's worth it will you take those steps to true success and wealth